Welcome to episode four of the Marta Warner series. In the first three episodes, you heard Marta describe what it was like growing up as a young girl in Nazi Germany and how the rights of the people were uh, taken away from them, sometimes incrementally, sometimes very quickly, as they were made small by the Nazi regime. And then later in episode three, you heard Marta talk about what it was like when the war came to them. What was it like to be a civilian on the ground when the Allies were bombing these German cities into submission? Well, in this episode, episode four, it gets worse. You wouldn't think it would. What I just shared with you sounds terrible. But in episode four, she's going to talk about what it was like to be a refugee. After being bombed out of Frankfurt in 1944, the family fled east to Silesia, which is now Poland, where her dad was working in a weapons factory. And what you're going to hear in this episode is what happens when the Russians came. And when they came, they pushed him out, and they were forced to flee back to the bombed out city of Frankfurt that they had left several months before. So we're going to kick this off with Marta talking uh, about what it was like being a refugee. And um, I think you're going to find some of the content a bit disturbing. But uh, we think it's important for listeners to understand, you know, the true face of war from the civilian perspective. So listen in. There's no train. The last one there is, is a freight train, open freight cars. And we're in there, and it's January, end of January, beginning of February. Easter Germany, it's freezing. And there we are, in that open train. And I climbed up to see out, and as far as the eye can see, there are people walking away with carts and wagons and animals whatever you can think of as far as the eye can see, people running away to nowhere. Nobody knows where they're going, only running away from what's coming. And unless you experience that, you cannot possibly imagine what that's like. Agree. That's, cannot. You've got to experience that because the kind of fear that is with that. You can't explain to anybody. You don't know what's coming, where you're going, or if you're even going to live. We are in that train, in that car. Mind you, mind you, there's no food, there's no water, And then no bathroom is there's no bathroom either for that matter, okay? Yeah. So so the whole thing you you call on that sort of have to imagine, and there is this very very old man, and he dies, and the women pick pick him up and throw him over. What are they going to do with the corpse? Okay. So the women dump him. And I remember, these are some of the things I really vividly remember, because it's awful. So, 
eventually this train gets to La Marche in Thuringen. And Lomach can't take anybody anymore. And then it goes to Meissen. And Meissen can't take anybody anymore. So it keeps going between Lomach and Meissen. Eventually it stops in one of them. I can't remember which one. I think it was Lomach. In any case, there was somebody who had coffee. And we got out of the train into a schoolhouse and there was straw on the floor and there were hundreds of people and I remember needing to go to a bathroom and of course <laughs> whatever was there it was all pee all over the place needless to say I mean at that point in time um, and my mother was having this awful cough and somebody came and took my mother away from my brother and me. So here my brother and I are in the middle of nowhere in this school, whatever. I guess it was a gym. And. And you guys are alone. Huh? You guys are alone. Yes. My goodness. There we were. Yeah. They thought my mother made me have TB yeah. because of the cough. So they brought her back in the morning. I don't know what they did with her. I, you know, but it, apparently she they were they were okay with her to be back with us. Mind you, still she is in this full cast. So she takes my brother and me to get away from there and we start walking into town. There's a bakery, the window open. And she looks at me and she, with her one arm, shoves me, helps me on up and climb through the window and steal a loaf of bread. So here now we had something to eat. That was the first we had eaten in God knows how long. And uh, didn't get caught. And she, with that rucksack on her back, and my brother is carrying two pillows. Parade kisser. Oh, God. <laughs> That's funny and not funny. Those, they were special pillows that were used specifically when a bed was being made. And they were the prime example of beauty or whatever used. And my mother was adamant that he carried those idiotic pillows. Why, I never understand. In any case, he griped, he's a little kid. He's hungry, he's dirty, he's thirsty, you know, and I'm older. So now he wants me to take care of everything I can't. And my mother is in a cast. She can't do anything. 
Well, I mean, I, I kind of halfway understand the psychology of why her mother was wanting to hold on to the one nice thing they have left of their previous life. Yes. That's, I think, what's, con- Scotty, what's going on. Yeah. It totally, Ryan, in the contrast, here they are lugging around these, we're always speaking, these worthless pillows, yeah. and they're having to break into bakeries to steal bread to eat. Yeah. I mean, and, and her mom is such a badass. I wish she was still alive. Here she is in a cast with an arm that doesn't even really work because of all the damage from the injury. She's got a bunch of stuff on her back. She's got this little boy. She's got this teenage girl. They're, they're starving. She's coughing. They think she has TB. I mean, how hardcore must she have been? Well, I mean, like, I, I don't, I can't, I can't fathom it. You know, I mean, um, what choice does she have? <laughs> you know, uh, she's got to be strong for her daughter and her son. She's trying to survive herself, but I, I, I can't imagine the level of exhaustion and just pure, I don't know what, uh, to get through that. I don't understand it. I don't know where it comes from. So what you just said is a perfect segue to the next couple of clips. She clearly felt that way and she needed help. And she's, she's about to get it from a family member. So go ahead and roll the next series. She gets to the station. And there is a train. And what my mother is trying to do is get herself and her two kids to Turinga. We have no idea what happened to my father at this point in time. He had completely disappeared. We had no idea where he was, if he was alive or not. Okay? Hmm. So my mother is adamant to get us to her sisters in Thuringia at this point in time. And we find this train and there are these people, everybody is now running, you know, so we don't know who they are, where they're from, and they keep singing. They eat onions. <laughs> they they had a sack or whatever full of onions, the only thing they had, and they were eating them. What are you going to do? <laughs> All right. Don't laugh because I, don't, I can't stand onions to start with, <laughs> but... That was apparently the only food they had. Yep. What are you going to do? And uh, they were singing this, in the Heimat, in the gibt's ein wieder, wieder, wieder sein. I mean, on and on and on. And what it means, at home, at home, we shall meet again. Oh. So, we got to Turinger in that train. And my mother's sister's daughter was working in, I can't remember the town's name Mm -hmm. at this point. So when we got off of that train, how my mother knew, or if she, 
I don't know how, but she went to that store. And with that, we then went to her sister's house, walking. And we walked for like maybe a half an hour or so, and a farmer came by with a wagon, and we wound up on the wagon with the horse-drawn wagon, and we went for another half hour or so before we got to her sister's house. And there we stayed a few days, a week maybe, whatever. Hmm. But my mother decided to leave my brother there and take me back to Frankfurt because of the way things were. My mother's friend in Frankfurt, in the city center, was bombed out. So my parents allowed them to use their apartment so this way they wouldn't lose it. Mm, okay. Or somebody was living there. Mm. So they didn't lose it. So my mother was determined to get me back to her apartment. And I cannot remember what happened to her friend and her husband. I, I, I have no recollection on how that one worked, how my mother got rid of him or whatever. So in any case, with all of the bombings and everything, and you know, and the evacuation, da 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 da. So now the Russians are coming, and we are trying to get back, and we are back in Turinga, and my mother is taking me, and we are going back to Frankfurt. And as I said, I don't, I can't remember about her friend in our apartment, how she got rid of her, or what they did. Uh, but my mother is determined to get us back. So here she is in the cast. Here I am. And she still has her rucksack. She's taking that with her no matter what. She we leave my brother at her sister's. And she and I, we are now going to the train station and we are getting a train to Frankfurt. However, at this particular point in time, there is no normal traffic anymore of anything. I mean, everything is collapsing. So there is this train, it starts, she shoves me in and she goes in and there is this lieutenant or whatever. He tells my mother, you can't, this is a train for injured servicemen. And my mother with her cast, I thought, what the hell do you think this is? <laughs> okay. And yes, they let her. Because, yes, this was a war injury. And that's how we got back to Frankfurt. How how bad does it have to be that you want to go back to the town that you were just bombed out of several months before? Right. And that you've got someone squatting in your apartment so no one else takes it. So you can hope 
that are still there and stuff so bad that you have to leave one of your children behind and turn him with her sister. I, I can't fathom it. I mean, I really, um, you know, the, the human, the human's will to survive and, and our ability to, you know, take uh, notice of situations and try to plan our way out of them is amazing to me, you know, and, you know, I, I mean, so they arranged to have someone squat to stay in their apartment, right? I'm surprised yes, that they moved all their belongings out to where they were in East Germany, but I guess they couldn't have known how how it was going to turn out, you know? I mean, they were probably not being told what yep. was going on with the Russians coming, you know, that they probably thought the war was going a lot better than it was. And lo and behold, here come the Russians, you know? Uh, yeah, it's it absolutely uh, stunning to me. And I remember, dear, at this point in the interview, <laughs> I don't know how you were, I kept waiting for the bad things to stop happening. Mm. I, I kept waiting for her to tell me that, yeah, this and that happened, and then we were safe, and then the war ended. It just felt like from the start of the interview up until this point, and by the way, the tragedy continues, spoiler alert, yeah, yeah. that it was just one never ending dumpster fire after another. It was, I don't well, think I've done an interview like that before. Well, when you're caught in a cauldron like they are in Germany, when you've got the Russians coming at you from the east and the allies coming at you from the west and you've got bombing, you know, the bombings happening, you know, that was what was really um, devastating was the bombings. Yeah. Cause, you know, you couldn't escape it unless you were in the countryside in some small village. And, yeah. uh, you know, you were in the focal point of everything that these nations were trying to get at. And it just, the pressure cooker just kept getting turned up all the time. And, and, and by design, when World War II started, the Allied nations felt like the reason Germany rose up again is because it hadn't suffered enough in World War I. Mm. When World War I, now they suffered, right? But when World War I ended, the, the Germans were still on French soil. Right. There, there was no strategic bombing campaign where we were lever, leveling their cities. Now, because of the naval blockade, their people were starving, and that's why ultimately they had to end the war. But this, all of this destruction, all of this pressure cook you described was, was exactly what the Allies wanted. They wanted the German people to, to, to suffer the horrors of war to the point that they, would, they wouldn't be inclined to want to start another one. And well, that was day, the big... Yeah. Well, say, and, and to this day, that strategy is is debated in hindsight. Is is it the right one? Because some people felt like it was inhumane. It killed too many civilians. But as you said earlier, and I think it was Sherman who said it, General Sherman, you know, war is hell, man. I mean, the, yeah. the, it, it, if you don't want this to happen to your people, don't start a war. Well, and that was the thing that I think uh, most, you know, that everyone was the most upset about was didn't we just – didn't we just win a war against these guys 20 years ago, 20 some right. odd years ago? Here we are having to do this all over again to send our boys back over there just 25 short years later. Um, you know, I can understand to a degree the desire to make them suffer <laughs> because, you know, not wanting to have to come back a third time, you know, um, you know, this was going to be a, a, a total victory, a total surrender from yeah. the Germans, you know, to, to the allies. And that's why it was unconditional. And I think that's probably why it was unconditional for the Japanese too. We decided, you know what, this is going to be a total victory and we're going to rebuild these countries. 
And, so we don't and, have to worry about this. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that, that seems to be where we are. And unfortunately, people like Marta and her mom and her brother and her sister and everyone else and her father, they don't know where he is. You know, we'll find out what happens to him, I guess, are still, you know, suffering the consequences of this. And I'll say it again. You've heard a, a bunch of horrible things happen to Marta. We're going to play the next couple of clips. It even gets worse. Yes, <laughs> audience, it gets yeah. worse. So go ahead and play the next series of clips, Ryan. No food, no water, no power. What we have is ourselves. It's still winter time. It's cold too. So we break whatever we can break to make fire. So in any case, At one point, she's in the living room. I don't know what she was doing. I was in the kitchen, and she calls. And I went, and she takes her pants off, and in the pants is a fetus. Mm. I will never, ever forget. It was about this big. One leg was reversed. It was instead of going down, it was going up. And it was male. So I took this little thing and put it in a wash bowl. And I didn't know what to do. And I told her, I'm going to get the doctor. Well, Dr. von der Heiden was an old man at the time. He was not in the service and he was in his house. And he came and he looked at her and he said, he'll be back. And he came back with a bag and he put her on the kitchen table and it did DNC in the kitchen. Oh my goodness. Because there was no afterbirth. There was nothing. So he did a DNC in the kitchen on the kitchen table. And the blood went into the bucket. And then she got in and then she got the infection. Okay. And the fever is sky high within a day. And I'm running around the street, you know, trying to find some help. I did. Mm. And uh, one of the neighbors, an old man, he tried to get hospital and how they managed to do all that I really can't remember but eventually they came with an ambulance and took my mother to the hospital and now I am alone and again no food no water no nothing okay and I gotta walk to the hospital every day and home. And I did. And that was maybe two hour walk, two and a half hours, something like that. So five, six hours a day were shot just walking. And one morning, one day, on my way I collapsed. And this woman found me and took me to her apartment. 
And of course I came too, you know, I'm young. And she gave me a piece of bread. And I will never forget, she shared a piece of bread. I'm speechless. I've I've heard this all in person, and I'm listening to this again, and and I I uh, am I'm amazed at the right Odyssey. Now, dude. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what what thing? I mean, you you're 13 years old, maybe 14 by this point. You're witnessing your mom have a miscarriage. You handle the fetus. Right. For people who don't know what a a DNC is stands for dilation. I think it's curatage. And and here's here how it's described on the Mayo Clinic's website. In dilation and curatage, your provider uses a small instrument or a medication to open and dilate the lower or narrow part of your uterus. Your provider then uses surgical instruments, which can be a sharp instrument or suction device, to remove uterine tissue. Mm-hmm. They did this on their kitchen table. I, and then mom. she gets an infection. <laughs> her mom is, and then and then her mom gets an infection. Is anyone surprised by that? Uh, and and they don't have antibiotics in Germany at this time. Uh, the only antibiotics that exist, the Allies have, and it's called penicillin. And even we don't have enough of it. We just use it for the worst cases that occur. And we would have used it on this case. I, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm 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 just blown away. Um, uh, I can't. I, 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 and then, I, I, and then, no. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say um, the uh, the strength uh, that I, I mean, and I know her mom really didn't have a choice, but the strength that she that she showed and and what she went through. I'm surprised at this point that she survived the war. You know, uh, I I can't I can't. I mean, and, and do you think about this really, um, everyone? This is one person's story. <laughs> How many other hundreds of thousands of stories are there out there of people who've gone through similar things? And let alone the Jews that were that 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 uh, had to suffer through concentration camps, the ones that survived. Yeah. Um, you know, we we hear about you know the plight of of our veterans and what they went through, and and that in and of its own right was was horrible you know um a lot of them got got to come back home with really you know uh no scars mentally or physically um but you know the some of the the civilians that were caught in the in the middle between these two gun barrels of russia and and you know uh usa britain canada um uh they just the, everyone suffered everyone suffered there was for the civilians, which were the vast majority of people who suffered in in war, generally in World War II specifically, there were no medals. There's no glory. There were no parades when they got back home. They just they just hoped they survived the damn thing, and then hoped they could survive what was going to happen afterwards, which mm-hmm. was still a huge question mark. So, mm-hmm. audience, I'm happy to say that um, things are actually going to start to get better. For the first time in this entire episode, things are actually going to start to look up a little bit. So, Ryan, go ahead and play the next few clips where things turn around a bit. One day, I 
There's a knock on the back door. I open the back door, and there's my father. Oh. And hello there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So. He tries to procure all kinds of things. One of the most important is food. I can't remember how many raw apples I stole from the trees when they were this big, you know. But interestingly enough, you, I did not get sick. Because the, the adults who take you, you can't eat, Seth, that'll make you sick. It's not ripe yet and all of this garbage. <laughs> I was hungry. I ate what I could find or steal for that matter. And guess what? Never got sick. It always worked. So the body is amazing. Yeah. You know. Um, so... In any case, here's my father back home. And, Is this back in Frankfurt now? Yeah. Did you ever find what what where was he during this time? What happened to him? Yes, I found out. Oh, okay. Um, when the Russians came, they gave every civilian a rifle. Oh. <laughs> oh. With or without munition that would fit. Who knows what? Okay. And uh, my father really was not a, not a, a soldier, but they gave him a rifle anyways, and he ran. And uh, apparently he wound up in Hamburg and went f and flow, flee, he fleed. Uh, he said he would walk during the night in the forests and hide and sleep during the day. And in villages, he would work for the women for food. And he made it back to Frankfurt that way. I would love to hear his story. I'll be honest with you, Ryan, up until this point, I was thinking, where the hell is their deadbeat father? Yeah. Why, where, what happened to what happened to that lazy ass? How come he's not here helping out the family? And then you find out that they gave him a rifle and said, "Oh, go march east until you die." Yeah, I, I, I wonder. You know, at what point uh, was he pulled away from the family? Uh, I'm trying to. I got the sense that when they were put on the train to evacuate without their father. It was because he had been drafted into what's called the Volkstrom. That would make sense because, I mean, look, his job was at the at the uh, munitions factory in Silesia. And you're right. They probably sent the rest of the family, you know, the mom and the kids on that train, which was because she, she doesn't describe her dad being with them after that point. Nope. So, so there you go. So the, that makes the, sense. The, and the Volkstrom was, was something that the Germans resorted to. Ryan, could you share with the audience that who may not know what that was? Yeah, it was basically the last line of defense. You know, all of the able-bodied young German soldiers were already deployed, and you know, in in a large, you know, in a large way, um, m much of them have already been defeated in some way, shape, or form. But 
when it came to defending the actual country from the Americans and or the Allies and from the Russians on the east, all they had left were the uh, the young men and the and the old men. That you know that was essentially you hand everyone a gun and um, everybody goes down fighting here, yep. and um, that's that's how this worked. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard. GIs talk about encountering Germans uh, later in the war, and they were fifteen-year-old got kids that were yep. serving. You know, yep, young boys and old men is how the young. GIs described them. Yes, and and I'll tell you what, you got this forty-year-old um, uh, bureaucrat working in a weapons plant. I think his job was more bureaucratic than actual like labor force assembly. I mean, <laughs> I this may be controversial. I think it was more brave of him to try to live and get back to his family than to have stayed there and fight. I think that wow. he was probably in just as much danger working his way back through Germany to get back to his family where he was needed and where he should have been because he wasn't a soldier than, than to go down to blaze of glory. If you can't even call it a blaze of glory, it was just suicide at that point. At, at that point, he had to know, as I think virtually everyone did, the war was lost. So do you go down, do you do you essentially allow yourself to be killed against the Russians? Um, or do you try to get back to your family? And, you know, um <laughs> that's that's a that's a hell of a decision to have to make, you know. Sure uh um, but uh, you know, he did what he had to do. He made the decision he felt was right for himself. And um, amazingly, he did make it back. Um, It's, um, you know, and what was interesting was the fact that he got back right after this whole miscarriage happened. Am I right? Yeah. It is. In fact, in fact, play the next clip. Um, It it talks about what happens. The the mom's still sick. So go ahead and play the next clip so the audience can see what happened there. And he then went to see my mother, needless to say, and uh, there were two nurses there in the hospital who did transfusions. They gave their blood to my mother. So the transfusions were person to person, two nurses who's and they became best friends for thereafter, you know, da-da-da-da. <laughs> Erika and Ilse, I'll never forget them either. Wow. wow. Okay, so hold on a second. I'm, and I'm going to show my ignorance here. A blood transfusion means they take all of your blood out of your body and put new blood in, right? Yeah, but what they, what they did with two nurses is they would have uh, a bottle and a hand pump, and while they pulled out, the poisoned blood from the infected mother, they would pump in a liter or two or whatever that that donor could provide back in. And the reason they needed two of them is because you would kill the healthy person <laughs> by giving by giving the blood yeah. they needed. So they found two women with the right blood type and they took turns pulling poison blood out of the infected mom who had the miscarriage and giving them the blood they have. And you have to remember, this is at a time when young girls like Marta are passing out in the street because there's not enough to eat. So uh, uh, these nurses couldn't have been like pictures of good health either. 
And and to say that they were friends afterwards and she remembered their name, I mean, talk about blood brothers, right? I mean, my gosh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that that's I mean, I'm I assume back then, I don't know if the Germans had plasma. Did they did they have the ability, you know, like we had plasma that we could use as first aid. I don't know if the Germans had that um, as far as their medical technology at that point. Maybe this was commonplace, um, you know, all around Germany, you know, even in, in the army, in the military and everything. Um, but um, I, I could, you're right. Bl- talk about blood brothers or blood yeah. sisters. That yeah. That's it. That's the I, definition of it. <laughs> they, these nurses literally not only gave their time and their expertise to save people's lives, they literally gave their blood parts themselves to save this woman. And they did. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and now we're moving, well, we're not moving. We are, we will be moved away from the horrors of war. And now we're going to transfer into, um, the confusion of occupation in peacetime. Well, that's the end of episode four. And we told you last week that this one's going to be a difficult one to listen to. We warned you that being a refugee or the experience of refugees is something that may not be widely understood. And after hearing Marta's exploit with her family, um, hopefully that reinforces how bad it can get. And remember, there's millions of refugees around the world right now. They may or may not have suffered in the way that Marta did. Um, But you got to believe that it was, let's just say there's probably a lot of uh, stories similar to Marta's out there uh, today. We talk about history. History is not just about the past. It's about trying to understand what's happening now. So at any rate, Episode five next week is going to focus on what it was like after the war. What was it like to be occupied by the allies, by the Americans? What what did she do after the war? I think that a lot of the audience is going to find this a more philosophical discussion. You're going to learn more about how intelligent Marta is, and she is deeply intelligent, very well read. Um, and I think... I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this. So stay tuned next week, episode five, the last episode of the Marta Warner series. So until then. I want to take this segment to thank some just a couple of people, not many. This isn't a shout out to a hundred people. But as this podcast has grown, there were some people who were there at the very beginning, really supporting us in a way that uh, we're deeply appreciative of. And as as this podcast continues to grow, we want to let those people know uh, how much their support uh, means to us. So um, first goes to Marie Camisso. Uh, Ryan and I met Marie Camisso when we were geoscientists together in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and she was this uh, Italian girl from Rome, New York, of all places, right? I mean, Rome, New York, you know, Camisso, Italian, and she looked very much uh, the part. Uh, Marie just is a really wonderful person, good-hearted, and she has since uh, left the energy sector and now is doing a lot of work, award-winning work. 
with various therapies to uh, help people in a holistic way. And then a friend of ours in Sand Springs, Oklahoma, which is just outside of Tulsa, where, where Ryan lives, a co-host, is Len Gardner, who got us connected with Ray Harris Jr., of the World War II History Podcast, which really allowed our numbers to grow and allowed us to really have a larger audience. I got a neighbor across the street. This is called The Warrior Next Door, right? Well, I've got a guy across the street named Tim McAndrew, and he has really helped us out with um, trying to help us market The Warrior Next Door Podcast and make it more available to more people. That, and he's a kindred soul. He and I have spent many hours on his back deck drinking beer and talking about history and cool things like that. And lastly is Ryan Fairfield's niece, Haley Myrick. Uh, she is um, an awesome niece if they're, you know, I mean, it, it, she's just amazing. She really supports what we're doing. And she has worked with Ryan and I to, I don't know, kind of beef up our Facebook page and to let people know what we're doing. And she got us on some podcasts. So this uh, this particular portion at the end of our episode, we reserve for uh, listener feedback. But I wanted to take a little time on this particular episode just to let those and a lot of other people know how much we appreciate them supporting us very early on. And I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't add uh, Troy Johnson on there as well. Uh, we actually had him and his son on as a guest episode. So any rate, uh, that's what we wanted to kind of share for the end of this particular episode. We hope everyone has enjoyed the first four episodes from uh, Marta Wagner. And the last one, episode five, will be coming up next week. We hope you enjoy it. Ka-ka!